With a string of deadly incidents in their wake, members of a powerful low country family suddenly found themselves searching for justice. Two brutal slayings, a rain-soaked crime scene, and several possible motives. Authorities are only releasing new information in tiny increments, causing speculation to run rampant. With the solicitor in charge finally recusing himself due to conflicts, does that point to a possible development? This week's episode is The Murdoch Family Murders, Part 2. Up uh, in the night, your heart fills with dread. Probably a murderer who wants you dead. It could be a ghost, a demon, or worse. Perhaps you're the victim of a witch's curse. It's hopeless, you're doomed. You'd call a priest if you could. You'd rather just listen to who? Sinisterhood. I'm gonna kill you. I just spent a couple days in the van in the woods. (laughs) And the only thing I wanted the whole time was Wi-Fi to keep reading about this week's episode topic. I kept sending you links and you were like, I can't read this. I'm going to go nuts. (laughs) I know. I was like, I could get a little tiny bit of service for it because I was staying in a van in the woods. And so I would get a tiny bit of service and I could see the headline and I couldn't click the story. And I was like, we got to go somewhere where there's like, there's got to be a Starbucks. (laughs) There wasn't because we were in the woods. So I found, I would walk up close to the office to get a little bit of Wi-Fi. This is how you know you, um, are passionate about your career choices because, mm-hmm. you know, I just... You couldn't uh, unplug. I didn't want to unplug. You were in That's... a beautiful, serene <laughs> setting, and you wanted to read about murder. I mean, I still... This one is... This, it, it, this, this one has everything. I It's chewing at the brain, you yeah. know? Yeah, for sure. I, the ones that are unsolved are always the ones that stick with me the most, that I think about the most, that I, like, just can't stop reading about and, and there's so many different is, scenarios yeah, and this one's definitely yeah. it because this one's so layered i mean so that like so if you haven't listened to the first episode um it's its whole own thing so go Correct. back and listen to that before this but i mean there's so much that is involved with this that it's you know, the internet is ablaze with theories and rumors and speculations Especially since it's such a small community as mm-hmm. well. I told you earlier, it's a bit of a Ferris Bueller effect where people will post or say, my best friend's girlfriend's, you know, mm-hmm. high school friend knows this guy who went to school with them and they were in this bar and they overheard somebody say that this happened. Or, you know, I know somebody that I went to high school with and they work with the sled agency or whatever. So it's a lot of, I think because it's a small town case that has blown up to such a national scale, there is a lot of uh, tendency toward putting positioning oneself as close as possible to the yeah the sphere of ongoings in this case so i'm saying like you know i know i know because i'm a lawyer in this area or i'm a you know a lifelong resident things like that and i think right now we don't have any definitive answers to any of the incidents that happened that we discussed in the first part and now these two murders that we have here so finally possibly we're having state level people who are beyond the grasp of the power of this family looking into it. And that's usually when you see some semblance of justice, of answers, when you have 
more neutral third parties who go, I don't care how much money you are, mm-hmm. you're in charge of, like, I'm I'm the attorney general, so I'm going to investigate this. It almost becomes a power play for them. Yeah, that's true, too. You're yeah. like a uh, Wicked Witch style of, you, you have no power here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, we're the feds. We're That's cute that you thought you were in charge, but we're going to actually uh, get to the bottom of well, this. Well, I hope they do get to the bottom of it. And I do, of all of them. Yes, uh, all five. At this point, murders yeah. that have now taken place around this family. Yeah, po- we have a possible, possible, possible murder, possible murder, negligent homicide, accident? Question mark. And then two, definitely, these two are are for sure. Uh, what the investigators called premeditated. Yes, po- definitely premeditated murders. Yes, yes. Well, we're talking about the Murdoch family and the saga that has surrounded them for years now and just when everyone thought it couldn't possibly get any worse the worst thing that one can stumble upon is what Alec Murdoch found when he got back to his house from visiting his dying father and his mother <laughs> who has dementia severe Golly. dementia yeah not a great day yeah no it's not to say the least Well, I'm Christy. I'm Heather. And let's get into it. On Monday, June 7th, 2021, Alec Murdoch visited his ailing father, Randolph Murdoch III, at the hospital. The senior Murdoch was in poor health, and his family feared his days were numbered. After leaving the hospital, Alec claims he went to visit his mother at her home. After leaving there, he headed for his property on Moselle Road in the small community of Islington, a self-described hunting lodge that sat on over 1,700 acres. He knew his wife Maggie and their son Paul were staying there and wanted to check on them. A 911 call placed by a panicked Alec at 10.07 p.m. described the horrific scene that awaited him. I need the police and ambulance immediately. My wife and child have been shot badly. Alec told the dispatcher that he came home to find Maggie and Paul lying on the ground by their dog kennel. In the background, dogs can be heard barking. They had both been shot multiple times. When dispatch asks Alec if either of them were moving, Alec tells her, No, ma'am. Nobody. Neither of them is moving. Throughout the call, Alec is breathless, distraught, and intermittently sobbing. Still, he manages to answer all of the operator's questions. No one else was supposed to be at the house, nothing looks out of place, and he doesn't see anyone else on the property. The dispatcher instructs Alec not to touch anything in case there is evidence the police can use. Alec informs her he already touched the bodies to check if Maggie or Paul were breathing. They were not. After a few minutes, Alec tells the dispatcher he needs to get off the phone to call other family members. She assures him police are on the way and asks him to turn the flashers on in his car so they can see where he is. This 911 call is about seven minutes long. It is. Approximately. And it is distressing to hear it is i've listened to it several times for transcript purposes and just to get kind of a feel for his demeanor and it is it's a hard one it's a hard Mm -hmm. one to listen to especially because you can tell he's walking around and kind of like looking where things are and everything and at one point he says Oh, I've been up to him now. It's bad. It's real bad. Mm-hmm. So I think when he first called, he probably was a little bit away from them and then mm-hmm. got up close and saw 
how much damage had actually been done. And I mean, outside you're on 1700 acres. There's, it's got to be quiet. It's dark. I mean, what mm-hmm. an eerie, raining. Rain, raining, eerie and haunting scene. You've just come from both of your parents who are ill. You're by yourself. It's just a horrible, horrible scene to walk up on. It's, and it's your worst nightmare that you wouldn't even think. You know, that's mm-hmm. not something that you would expect going home to see them. No. Colleton County Sheriff's deputies arrived to 4147 Moselle Road at 1028 p.m and contacted the South Carolina Law Enforcement Division, or SLED, to request assistance. SLED agents arrived over an hour later, at 11.47, to take the lead, and SLED crime scene agents arrived shortly after midnight to begin processing the scene. Fitz News reported that sources at the scene said that Maggie and Paul had been shot execution-style with multiple firearms, and that responding officers believed the killings were clearly premeditated. So this alone says, um, I mean, execution style and multiple firearms, to me, at first blush, would mean more than one person was involved. Exactly, because it's both, it's two different kinds of long guns. Yes. So Paul's death certificate says he was shot with a shotgun. Yes. And some of the, again, the more unsubstantiated rumors because sled is being pretty tight-lipped as it's an ongoing investigation said that he had severe significant damage to him paul yes did. it's and, and to then, his face especially it was head face mm-hmm. and arm which to me sounds like a defensive wound if your arm is also mm-hmm. um injured and then maggie was shot with a some type of rifle they were people were saying AR15 kind mm-hmm. of style an assault rifle. rifle yeah an assault rifle and so obviously all that stuff still under analysis all the the shell casings and whatnot but that would be very difficult i would think to handle a shotgun in one hand and an AR you know an mm-hmm. AR in the other hand it sounds more like there were two separate perpetrators yes i would agree with that Following the gruesome discovery, authorities were quick to assure the public that no one was in danger, despite no arrests being made. When asked to comment on the case, a sled would only say, We continue to pursue all leads and the investigation is certainly active and ongoing at this time. While state and county officials are required under the Freedom of Information Act to provide the public with certain information pertaining to committed crimes, sled did not immediately comply. Yeah, one of the newspapers, I think it was the Post and Courier, had to sue them. Uh-huh. Which is, I mean, a bold move on their part. I think, I, I, when I read that, I was like, well, is it because the media wants details? And so, under the Freedom of Information Act, they feel that they're entitled to details. Less so because they feel like the public needs to know, but more so so they can get the story was a question I had. Well, and that's the kind of the nature, I think, now of the journalism industry as a whole is people don't want to, you know, they get frustrated. They, they're they like, I don't want to pay for that. I just want to, you know, just tell me. What, and it's that that cost money. That cost time. They had to get lawyers. They had to sue them. Mm-hmm. And I would give them the benefit of the doubt that if you're looking at this case and you're like, oh, the Murdochs are involved. Some shady shit's afoot. I want to see every single document that's involved. And then if you get pushback, you're like, okay, now that even more substantiates that I'm worried about shady shit's involved. So I really, really do want the story. And it's kind of, it's like win-win, right? If you 
are bringing the good, juicy story to everybody, then they want to subscribe and then you sell more newspapers. And it's, the I think, as a, you know, we all love the old Constitution. I mean, the, the press is an extremely <laughs> important institution in the U.S. And I think especially it, it's like we see these big institutions like the New York Times and the Washington Post and the New Yorker and all that. Well, the real on the boots on the ground that we've seen in a ton of stories that we've covered are the local journalism, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. the local journalists. And so that's what they're there for is if nobody was paying attention to this, that they're waving a red flag going, hey, y'all, you're obligated yeah. to release this information. Even if it is redacted, you're obligated to release it to us. We're going to force your hand. I think the lawsuits, too, showed that they made a request and the they responded with like a single page that says we responded to an incident at this house at this time. Yeah. And, and it's re- like, that ain't your whole case file. No. And the reason that they're legally obligated to provide that is so that residents in a community have the information of where crimes are committed, what types mm-hmm. of crimes are committed. And so they know like what, where they're living, what, you know, yeah. do you want to live somewhere? Would I move here? What kind of stuff goes on here? So mm-hmm. it it is public knowledge, and I mean that's a good point that if like any um what was that movie Spotlight? Oh yeah, like I mean it takes like a, a newspaper or something like calling out uh, people to to get the story. So even if it is to sell papers, it also got information out that was supposed to be out. So like you said, win win. It's like Ronan Farrow, right? He mm-hmm. he doggedly went after Harvey Weinstein. Everybody told him not to. And then he wrote a book and he's selling his book. Good for him. Let him make money off of doing exactly what a journalist is supposed to do, mm-hmm. going, I'm not going to give up on this story. And to your point, if it's a, it is public information and average citizens need to know, they probably don't have the means or the wherewithal or the know-how or the time to go hire a lawyer and sue for that, sure. but a newspaper does. So it's, you know, it, it is kind of a public service. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is. After receiving repeated FOIA requests, SLED began releasing documents regarding the murders. However, since the investigation is ongoing, the documents are heavily redacted. The initial reports from the sheriff's deputies on the scene indicate they took at least one vehicle into custody, a black SUV registered to the law firm where Alec worked, and canvassed neighbors and nearby businesses to ascertain whether anyone had security cameras operating at the time. A tent had also been set up near the bodies, presumably to protect possible evidence, as it was raining that night, although no details have been released. It is also known that police found shell casings on the ground, and that the following day, Maggie's cell phone was found in the street outside the home. And the way that that was found was because a family member used an app to ping her phone and heard it in the street, and then they turned it over to law enforcement. So... That is another, there's a couple things about this that when I try and think, okay, this is what I think might have happened. There's always one little sticking point that's like, but that doesn't really fit into it. And the Mm -hmm. cell phone being in the street is one of them for what I think, for what I think happened. And also, I think it's hard. The cell phone may be an indication of how the perpetrators got away. Yes. Because you are on a large plot of land, 1,700 acres, and it's not uncommon in a rural area to ride an ATV around mm-hmm. if you're not driving a car. But in that case, if it's on the street, possibly the getaway was by the... So, like you said, all these little pieces start to come together to try to paint a picture. Mm-hmm. Uh, we reviewed the SLED documents that were released, and 
very heavily redacted. Oh, yes. <laughs> I mean, some I mean, pages, it's like two words, you know? It's like mm-hmm. um, end of story. It's all <laughs> like yeah. end of report. You know, it'll yeah. just say somebody's name. So there's a lot. Most notable, I think, is what's redacted is if anyone else was there. Mm-hmm. There's quite a bit blacked out from that. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, things that were found, weapons and, and other things. So I think also part of the 911 call was redacted from yeah, what I think was it, released. It does say that on the redaction log. I think part of it was, um, I mean, it was. So that's kind of the dance we do with the investigators of what they're going to release mm-hmm. and we have a right to know up until the point that it impedes the investigation sure. and then it doesn't allow the family to get justice. Mm-hmm. The Colleton County coroner later confirmed both Paul and Maggie died from multiple gunshot wounds, according to WJCL. 22-year-old Paul had been shot in the chest and head with a shotgun. Maggie, 52, had been shot multiple times with an assault rifle. The coroner estimated their time of death was somewhere between 9 and 9.30 p.m., which would mean that they had been killed shortly before Alec arrived. So if he got there at 10, he made the call at 10.07, mm-hmm. so it would have been an hour to a half an hour. Yes. Ma'am. And the wounds, I think, it sounds... I went down a little bit of a rabbit hole of what happens to a body or a head when it is shot with a shotgun on YouTube because that has everything. Christ, like, Heather. Oh my God. There were fake mannequin heads <laughs> okay. filled with jelly. Okay. okay. Um, <laughs> You're about to get a lot of suggestions, though. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm done. So, I mean, you know me. My internet search history is wrecked anyway. But it was it, it made me think of like Mythbusters. It was like yeah. the jelly kind of heads or whatever. And it was interesting to see even at a pretty far distance, depending on the power of the gun and the type of ammunition used, because there's birdshot versus buckshot that'll, Mm -hmm. you know, it's kind of different impacts. It still does extreme significant damage even further away. I I feel like there's an emotion behind almost you're annihilating someone. You're not just, okay, we're going to snipe him from 900 yards away and then it'll be a quick and easy. I mean, it is a shotgun blast in the face yeah that is personal that's a message i mean that yeah. eliminates any type of open casket you yeah. know i mean that's if someone knew the murdoch family schedule and that alec was not going to be there because he was at the mm-hmm. hospital and was coming back you know i mean to know that that's what he's going to be walking up on is another mm-hmm. type of statement and when they say that it, it was execution style, I always assumed execution style was like kneeling on the ground, hands behind your head, shot in the back of the head. But I was reading like, really, it just means you can't get away. Like you're not running. So you're not like shot in the back mm-hmm. trying to trying to um, flee that you're more restrained some way. So they could have even just been like tied up and shot. Mm-hmm. Um there's no telling who was shot first. I mean, in my in my theory, I think Paul was shot first. But if that did happen for Maggie to have seen that, mm-hmm. I mean, at that point, you're almost like, take me to because how would I ever li- yeah. live a life seeing what I just saw, you know? Yeah, watching that happen to your kid. Yeah. For sure. And I, I think you're right with the execution style. It was some type of 
if not a restraint, then just put in a position where yeah. they couldn't get away, yes. cornered, or something. or you ha- you just have them at gunpoint on the ground, yeah, and they can't mm-hmm. they can't get away. On June twenty second, twenty twenty one, in connection with this investigation of Maggie and Paul's murders, SLED reopened its investigation of Stephen Smith's murder. Additional reports were released at that time that pointed to some microscopic blue paint chips found in Stephen's head wound that could be from an industrial tool, a dumpster, or a signpost. Sandy Smith, Stephen's mom, told ABC4 News, We've been waiting on this forever. Stephen has had no justice from the pathologist or nobody. He's had no justice at all. It's like he's a nobody because we're poor people. She also told ABC4 that she does not believe Stephen was the victim of a hit and run, but that he was murdered elsewhere and his body was dumped in the middle of Sandy Run Road that morning. I believe this was a slightly bungled at the outset by SLED because they called saying we would we want to talk about your son and then there was a bit of an implication of well Paul Murdoch was killed did you have anything to do with it but what they really meant was yeah more things have come to light and it took I think three or four days for them to go oh no 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 sorry we meant to clear it up we're finding things in this investigation that's leading us to your son's investigation so it was I think like I said they bungled it a little bit on the front end uh, because that is a huge slap in the face. And, and I think that's the phrase she used in speaking to a reporter to get that initial call and go, oh, finally, justice for my son. And they go, well, actually, the rich kid has been murdered and we're concerned about that. Mm-hmm. But then it was cleared up that said, no, no, something has come out. And we all, as the public, still don't know what exactly that is mm-hmm. that led them to reopen this case. And you thought that the blue paint might be from a weapon of sorts. Some There was some internet chit-chat that possibly it was the type of paint that was on a baseball bat. Like an aluminum bat or a wooden bat? An aluminum bat. Yeah. Like a painted aluminum bat. Uh, or, you know, some other type of, you know, crowbars can be painted. But that kind of indicates that it was a blunt object that mm-hmm. was... With paint, like they said, industrial tool, dumpster, signpost, something that was a metal that was painted uh, and certainly not a side mirror of uh, a truck, which we had. a. a I was just Patreon. about to say we had a Patreon. Man, I love our I love all of our listeners, but our Patreon, when they post things where they do their own due diligence and they're they're kind of disproving of theories on their own. And one of them is a trucker and I think she said she was five, eight or five, nine, and she was standing next to her truck. That mirror is a good half foot above her head. I believe the phrase was, this is not going to hit you unless you're like slender man height. Yeah. It gets yes. that far above. So you'd also have to I, be I think, standing right next to the truck. It would be, I mean, I don't know yeah. how one would do that. And that it doesn't fit with the injuries either with the dislocated shoulder. And so I think, yeah, well, it remains to be seen, I suppose, what's come out in that because it was from the murders happened on the 7th through the 22nd. So it was like a little over two weeks mm-hmm. to figure out what or something popped up in that time. Yeah. On July 7th, 2021, Connor Cook filed a Rule 27 petition for relief. This is a type of action filed when a party expects to later file a lawsuit in court but needs to obtain information through depositions or subpoenas. Connor's petition asks for depositions of key witnesses from the night of the boat crash, including several law enforcement officers and copies of their phone records. To confirm and clarify facts prior to the filing of a suit for civil conspiracy 
or other actions against the responsible parties, which may include law enforcement agencies, deponents, and or currently unnamed others. As part of his filing, Connor's attorneys included previous depositions from several law enforcement officials taken in the Mallory Beach wrongful death suit. The contents of the depositions painted a stark picture of how the investigation unfolded and just how involved the Murdochs were from the very beginning. So there's been speculation as to why you would file a Rule 27 petition. You know, some people said, oh, well, he probably thinks he was going to be criminally charged. But I think it was because, as we'll hear from the deposition, he was, it was almost preemptive strike to protect himself, at least civilly. And I think, I went down a real rabbit hole with all these depositions. I had... I was like, deposition at line 187 <laughs> with all my notes, because it start, you, you start to see, no, there, there may have been some type of conspiracy, and there does need to be more digging. So, you know, is it filed because you're trying to save yourself because you think you might have something pointed at you? Or I think it's twofold. Yes to that question. And then also... There's something going on that shouldn't have been going on in this investigation, and I think it only goes to prove that uh, maybe the people that are in charge were unduly influenced. Yes, and if if this, then what, as we like yeah. to say. Several facts were uncovered in the depositions released alongside Connor's July 2021 filing. It came to light that the lead investigator in the boat accident, Michael Brock, formerly of the Department of Natural Resources, but who has since moved on to work at SLED, was quite familiar with the Murdoch family. His wife, Sarah, worked for the family's firm while she was in law school. Brock and his wife had been to the Murdoch's River House on more than one occasion for parties, and the couple had been present at dinners with the Murdoch's and a mutual friend. I mean, as if it were not apparent enough, uh, Connor's attorneys, I believe that's, I mean, it was filed as exhibits to their Rule 27 petition, have conveniently for readers highlighted all of these very damning facts. So the actual scan has all this. And it's, you know, the attorneys are, they're trying to get to the bottom of it. And they say, so did you, did you know them? Well, yeah, you know, we kind of knew each other. And it's like, so, I mean, it's not that they spent Christmas together, but you know who they are. Yeah. And your wife worked for them. And especially if you have someone close to you who worked for them, you would probably see their reach i think that that is a bigger red flag than just because i think everyone in the town knew them so it would be mm -hmm. hard pressed to find someone that didn't know them but when you have a personal connection and mm -hmm. your spouse worked for them that muddies the waters a bit more yeah and so i believe one of the attorneys said D -d -d wasn't that a like a conflict of interest mm -hmm. he's like oh, i guess you could say it was mm -hmm. yeah brock was on the scene the night of the accident and was advised by his supervisor, Lieutenant Robin Camblin, via phone, to administer field sobriety tests to Paul Murdoch and Connor Cook. Brock wrote in his report that he advised his lieutenant's boss, Captain Pritchard, who had arrived on scene to administer the test instead. Lieutenant Camblin confirmed she couldn't figure out why Brock would have done that. Lieutenant Camblin also confirmed that Captain Pritchard knows the Murdochs, stating in her deposition, I do feel he does know the Murdochs, I don't know how deeply he knows them, but I know he knows who they are. So this was weird to me. So, and this is piecing together what happened that night by reading multiple people's sworn accounts of what happened that night. And so Lieutenant Camlin was out of town fixing to go to a, or getting ready to go out of town. She was not there, which is not unusual. Uh, fixing to go to a, like a 
conference, like a work conference. And so she was getting these phone calls from him and she tells him on the phone, okay, well, there's a drunk boat crash. They're all screaming about who was driving. Test them both. And then Captain Pritchard, so that's her boss. So she's the middle manager. So it goes Brock, then Camlin, then Pritchard. So she's not on scene, but Pritchard shows up. So her boss shows up. And then that's when Brock said, well, I told him that he should do it. Which and she says later, somebody two below you is telling you to go do something. Yes. And that's why she said, I can't figure out why he would have done that. It's not really protocol. I can, I can, I can, could I can speculate why <laughs> he might have done that. You don't want to be, you don't want to be the one giving Paul Murdoch a sobriety test and having to <laughs> be the one that did that. And if his BAC was 0.283 hours after yeah. that, I imagine he would have failed. Ooh, yeah. I think so. Uh, and he was being so rowdy, they had to have a deputy in the ambulance with him because he was acting a fool. I don't think he would have passed that at all. And then no. you're the guy who has the evidence mm-hmm. that the Murdoch kid was fucked up driving and his daddy's boat. You're the one that's arresting him as well. Yeah. Well, they wouldn't have been because... Well, no, yeah, they would have been. He's a DNR. He's or the Department of Natural Resources. Yeah, they could have been. The night of the crash, Lieutenant Camlin was receiving updates from Michael Brock via phone as he was on the scene. According to Camlin's deposition, at no time did Brock relay to her that Anthony Cook was screaming for Paul to rot in jail or that Cook said multiple times that Paul had been driving. Later, when Brock took Anthony Cook's statement, Brock marked on four separate places that the interview was being recorded. Later, he crossed that out and stated there was no recording. So this is where we start to get, uh, and he said, well, he can't remember why he crossed that out. And he can't remember why all the other kids' interviews were recorded, but that one wasn't. He can't remember. The I can't remember excuse is so fucking dumb to me, especially when you're in law enforcement. You can't remember. Your whole job is to remember. Well, and you take notes, right? Like, if you say... Well, I've worked so many cases, it's really hard to keep them all straight. First of all, this was a huge deal. Yes, that's what I'm saying. If you show up to that scene, that is something that is going to stick out for you. Yeah. It's not your every run-of-the-mill thing that's going on in that town, especially when y- you know whose kids are involved. A hundred percent. He rolled up and knew that was Paul Murdoch. Mm-hmm. And if he didn't, there was screaming in the de- you know in the <laughs> range of the dash out. cam. Yes. That's fucking Paul Murdoch. That's Alec Murdoch's kid. So. If it were me and I were going to deviate from standard operating procedures like disregarding my boss's request to administer a field sobriety test and outsource it to my boss's boss or mark something was being recorded and then mark later that it wasn't, I maybe just be thinking with lawyer brain, which, you know, that happens. (laughs) But you should document that fully. I also used to be a compliance officer and it's that's a big thing when you're in compliance, you have to say why you deviated from the standard procedures because the procedures are there for a reason. If you just say, I don't remember, it's hard to argue with that because the argument stops there. Why don't you remember? I just don't remember. It's like having a conversation with a toddler. Like, you're not going to get anywhere. And it's better to be negligent than to be... Uh, part of a con- civil conspiracy, yes, which is the allegation. Yes, you forgiveness and not permission. And you go, well, I just don't remember what I did. Not, well, I was really trying to cover up, so I did this. Sure. So you're never going to admit that. So why, why wouldn't you just go with, I don't remember? Mm-hmm. 
In a sworn statement, another officer present who worked for the military police stated he heard Anthony Cook's statement and that Cook definitively said Paul had been driving. Since Anthony had an injury, he was unable to write his own statement. Instead, Officer Brock wrote his statement, including that he didn't know who was driving the boat. Anthony's outburst on the scene caught on dashcam was also not mentioned in the DNR's official report. The Island Packet reported in August of 2020 that Deputy Stephen Domino, whose cameras had recorded the footage naming Paul as the driver, had been fired after allegedly buying drugs from a drug dealer. The depositions also revealed that the supervisor in the sheriff's office, who was charged with collecting DNA evidence from the boat, was, at that time, being represented by Alec Murdoch. Yeah. You can't make this up. This this is wild. Taking it a bit at a time, there was, yeah, a third party in earshot, allegedly, who swore that he heard Anthony Cook say Paul was driving. And And what does he have to lose? I mean, why would he, why would one make that up? You know, I'm not, he doesn't, why would he want to frame the murder? I would assume most people don't want to get involved. Exactly. And then the video footage that did not come out until months and months later mm-hmm. of the outburst and the screaming that the sheriffs, because that's uh, to refresh everybody from part one, the sheriffs were the first to arrive on the scene, but they don't have jurisdiction over a boating incident. So all they are supposed to do is secure the scene, make sure people get medical attention, take down names, and then the Department of Natural Resources shows up and they're the ones that have jurisdiction over it. And so Deputy Stephen Domino is the one who had taken Anthony Cook into the car and that's when this... And and he was outside of the car screaming as well. And none of that made it into the official reports. Right. But now everyone has heard it. The public and and everyone involved because it has finally been released. Because of dogged journalists who made all the Mm -hmm. requests. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, yes... Possibly he did buy drugs from a drug dealer, but also, I mean, it's just convenient that the person who could finger Paul as the driver, as, you know, hearing yeah. Anthony Cook's statement at the time was uh, fired and in he, August of And even if that doesn't necessarily mean he was lying, but his credibility is then poo-pooed because, yes. you know, I mean, which is what I think they're all trying to do in this case is to kind of push Muddy it off water. push it off on other people and yeah uh, distract and the fact that the supervisor in the sheriff's office the person who was collecting the dna evidence from the boat their attorney is alec murdoch yeah that was one of those that i was reading and i gasped <laughs> that's so inappropriate i don't even understand how well first of all why does the supervisor in the sheriff's office have an attorney is that standard you never know i can't remember what it was for yeah it could be something unrelated that you're you're in a car accident but if that's the case you have to i don't know the chain of command but somebody else has to be the one collecting the evidence at that because it's a huge conflict of interest you're reckon that's the thing with law enforcement who skirt again we're talking about protocol procedure what you've just done is call the whole investigation into question. Not that it wasn't already. There's a lot of there's a lot going on here that uh, was not above board. But the when you see, especially when it comes to documenting and collecting hard evidence that could actually be tested, it's similar to that uh, how to fix a drug scandal where 
we've ex- so exalted DNA or we've so exalted these, you know, trust science. We got to listen to science. When you have somebody, there's a human element, somebody meddling with it. Mm-hmm. Not that this person, it has not been alleged that I've seen that this person is meddling with it. But even if they haven't meddled with it, they have, are up the utmost integrity. It don't look good. No. It don't smell good Mm-mm. when you go, yeah, well, I mean, yeah, he's my lawyer. Yeah. Yeah, no. it was his kid. He was my lawyer. It was his kid. It's fine. Because you don't, whatever the outcome is, especially if it's undetermined, what hap- There's it just casts doubt on the whole yeah, situation. Yeah, I mean, if so, it goes to trial, it casts a ton of doubt. Certain jobs you're unfortunately or fortunately... You choose the job, right? I chose to be a lawyer. They chose to be law enforcement. When you choose certain jobs, we chose to be podcasters. I think it's to a lesser extent, but still you have a responsibility when you're dealing with things that, you know, impact people's lives. And when you're a law enforcement agent, you have to follow protocol and raise your hand and say, hey, I can't do this. And you're held to a higher standard. I say podcasters because, you know, we have a platform, right? I feel like we have some responsibility of what we do and what we say. And I don't think any, we all as humans have responsibilities to one another, but that's a heightened sense where, you know, maybe if you were in a podiatrist's office and you happen to, you know, something happens and it's Alex Murdoch and you're friends with him and, you know, the but in this case, it is a high stakes. Yeah. Young lady has lost her life. Mm -hmm. Don't swab the damn boat. Mm Mm-mm. In a deposition made public on August 18, 2021, Connor Cook made an extreme allegation. Initially, he told investigators he had no idea who was driving the boat, a claim he said he made at Alec Murdoch's behest. However, Connor came to believe the Murdochs were trying to pin it on him. Connor stated that the reason why he lied initially and didn't tell investigators that Paul was driving was because, well, I was told not to and being who they are, I was doing what I was told. And this is when Alex shows up at the hospital after they've all been taken there. Connor is trying to get x-rayed for a broken jaw. And Alex like, don't worry about it. You just, nobody needs to talk about who's driving. I'm going to get y'all out of this. I I got you. And he's being wheeled to get his x-rays and Mm -hmm. he stops him in the hallway. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you listen, especially you're 19 and a grown-up. Who not only is just some, it's not your friend's jackass dad. It's your friend's dad who is exalted powerful guy yeah and tells you something you're gonna listen Mm -hmm. you know being who they are is doing what i was told when pressed further as to why connor had cause to be concerned about the murdochs he did not hold back saying on the record under oath there's a couple things that had happened in hampton that i heard about one was said that paul had pushed his housemate down the stairs and she died and nothing ever happened and another one, there was something that Paul was supposedly involved with. A guy got found beat up in the middle of the road that they got out of. When asked if there was anything else, Connor stated. I mean, just anything they get in, they get out of. I've always been told that. So he alleges that rumors were Paul pushed Gloria Satterfield, their housekeeper that we talked about in the first episode, down the stairs. And that was the slip and fall that caused her death. Mm-hmm. And that's why they settled for 500 grand with the family. And that's the, the confusion is that the time, and I, uh, like I said, read the depositions myself. It says housemate. That's the confusing part. Yeah. So speculation was that he mumble when he said housemate mm. or something. So, uh, but the. Or is facts- there another person that. 
we don't know we about. We don't know yeah. about. Yeah. But he says, and she died, and nothing ever happened. So it it could be that it fits. It seems to fit those facts, you know, as far as the that case. And then, yeah, the other one, there was something that Paul was supposedly involved in with a guy got found beat up in the middle of the road. That sounds like how Stephen Smith was found. Yeah. So, and that would track with what, you know, his mom believes and what the evidence kind of points mm-hmm. to was that he was beaten up and was left to be found out in the road. So that is a very damning statement of anything they get in, they get out of. Yeah. I've always been told that. And so, yeah, if you, that's the reputation of the family that you have and you're in a wheelchair getting pushed to get an x-ray and someone tells you, hey, kid, keep your mouth shut. Yeah. Well, keep your mouth shut. They're also Southern kids. And mm-hmm. Southern kids, you're taught from a very young age to respect your elders, especially if this elder is Alec Murdoch. You know, I mean, even on the phone, on the 911 calls, when Anthony Cook calls his mom, he's referring to Mallory's parents as Miss whatever, Miss Leanne or whatever her first name. You know, I mean, that's just how mm-hmm. they they treat adults and everything. So. You're going to listen to what this adult is telling you to do. I've seen on Reddit, which of course is always speculation and a bit of a shit show, that there's speculation that the night of Stephen Smith's murder, Paul and Buster were following him in their car, leaving, I believe it was a baseball game. Mm Mm-hmm. Which is interesting that you thought it was a baseball bat that could have been used and um, pulled him or, you know, they got into an altercation with him, beat him and then left him in the middle of the road, hoping he would get run over. But instead he didn't. And then someone on Reddit said that, and I couldn't find anything to substantiate this, so it's probably just a rumor, but that they had said... They saw Stephen walking down the road because he was out of gas, but they didn't stop to help him. But I haven't seen that anywhere else. So wait, somebody else saw him walking. No, down No, that that Paul and Buster said they saw him walking down the road. Oh, they told someone else yes, that they had seen so, him. So, like oh, okay, in okay. this in this story, they would have been the last ones to see him alive. Okay, yeah, I definitely think. He was murdered. I do not think it was a hit and run. No, I I would agree with the, especially based on the evidence. I think, uh, yeah, that hopefully that will be forthcoming in SLED's investigation. Mm -hmm. And it's a shame that it took so many years. Yeah. But the fact that it's being looked at in earnest, uh, I think that maybe some of the rumors that, that Connor is saying in his deposition will be substantiated or not, you know, give closure to not just the families that are you know wanting to know what happened but also just a community who's been felt like that they've had this you know these untouchables Mm -hmm. in their midst yeah i am curious as to what was found in the investigation to make them reopen that case but wouldn't it be when his murder initially happened law enforcement wouldn't have had a warrant to search the property, to search the Murdoch's property, because, I mean, they weren't, like, implicated in in anything. But with the murders, they could search the entire property now. As as well as 
phones. Email. So yeah, so they have access to everything now. Yeah, I would imagine that something, if it were not available at the time of the incident, be- because they weren't, aside from the one tip that said Buster had some type of relationship mm-hmm. with Stephen, that which was that anonymous tip that was released uh, via the Daily Mail. Other than that, it wasn't, it's all been rumor accusations. It wasn't, oh, they're suspects. So there was no probable cause to have searched any mm-hmm. of their devices or their houses or their cars or to see if they owned a bat or whatever. And so now, though, because this happened, then, you know, your phone, they're going to want to look at Paul's phone and say, okay, did he get a text or an email threatening him? Was he posting where he was at on Snapchat? Was, you know, and they're not looking for something related to that. But if they see or find mm-hmm. something, then that that would be a reason to open the case. Yeah. On August 6, 2021, the Attorney General's office officially dismissed the charges against Paul in relation to the fatal boat crash that caused Mallory's death according to the AP. Officials called the decision to drop charges a formality due to the fact Paul was now deceased. The lawsuit filed by Mallory's mother, Renee, for her daughter's wrongful death remains pending against Parker's 55 and Buster and Alec Murdoch. According to the Island Packet, Paul's defense attorneys had planned to attack allegations regarding his BAC and move to change venues due to the publicity in the case. And according to Heather McKinney, I think they were going to try to really attack. You cannot prove beyond a reasonable doubt that he was driving. Yeah. Yeah. Because of the lack of, well, the changing statements among some of the the other passengers on the boat. And also, timing-wise, a few days after the murders, there was a due date for finances in the wrongful death case. So, yes, and Buster and... Alec were going to have to provide their financial statements. There was also an issue with the insurance company in the boat. Mm-hmm. Where they, the insurance company was saying they were not going to pay out because they had already paid out on a previous wrongful death suit because of the Satterfield case. Yeah, I imagine if you're a uh, insurance company, you do the math. Their actuaries are the you know the mathematicians on the inside of an insurance company that do the math on the likelihood of something and the likelihood of several wrongful death suits being paid out from the same claimant uh, is highly unusual and probably something that you don't account for in collecting your premiums. Yeah, uh, and I also would say. It's like you have a car, right? And, you know, your car insurance says we will, you know, insure licensed drivers over age 25, whatever, you know, if it's not the owner. And Paul didn't own that boat. Mm-hmm. Daddy owned that boat. And I would say as an insurance company, I would argue you are the owner of that boat. You have a duty, an affirmative duty to keep a drunk kid, even if it ain't your son driving, whoever was driving, a drunk kid from driving that boat and you were being negligent in letting them drive that boat and Mm -hmm. take the wheel. And uh, yeah, the insurance company would say, "Uh, nope, we're not paying that. That was not something that we agreed to. We agreed to cover you, 50-some-odd-year-old man who has X amount of years experience driving a boat and any other sober adult driver, not your shit-hammer drunk son who was, by all accounts of those on the boat, whether or not he was driving at the very end, but was driving extremely erratically, not just that night, but other nights as well. And so, and also the I boat, would, the lights were out on the boat. 
Yeah. And they were using they, flashlights to see. I mean, there was a lot of reasons why yeah, your insurance would not cover that. And your the insurance company is going to cover that boat with a fine tooth comb and say exactly what you said. These things were out. That mean, you know, it's like your car. You have contributed to this incident with not keeping your brake lines mm-hmm. up, and then you try to, you know, you don't maintain your car, so you try to hit your brakes and you rear end the person in front of you or whatever. Yeah, the insurance company is going to go. Yeah, we're not going to pay for, mm-hmm. <laughs> or mm-hmm. they will at least try to find ways not to, and that's going to be something that you would have to then fight the insurance company if you're found liable that you have to pay that claim out. That you know, you're they lose the wrongful death suit. They then try to sue their insurance company, and the insurance company was going to fight them on it. Mm-hmm. That's all insurance companies. They don't want to pay nothing. No. That's all. That's a business model. <laughs> don't get me started on insurance. <laughs> I think I went off at least once a week. I go off about insurance to somebody, <laughs> and it may – wasn't it you earlier today? Frequently. You and I yeah. go back and forth when <laughs> I've had some recent claims issues. Yeah. So, yeah. In a letter written on August 11th to the South Carolina State Attorney General, Duffy Stone, the solicitor for the 14th Circuit, recused himself from Paul and Maggie Murdoch's case. Stone did not cite specific details, but that the decision was based upon ethical principles that are incumbent upon prosecutors. Stone also recused himself back in 2019 in the case involving the death of Mallory Beach. In June, Stone said he had no reason to recuse himself from Paul and Maggie's case, according to Fox News. It appears newly discovered evidence has changed that, with Stone writing in a letter to South Carolina Attorney General Alan Wilson that, Citing the events of today in SLED's investigation of the homicides of Paul and Maggie Murdoch, I am asking that you assume all prosecutorial functions in this matter immediately. Again, interesting. I mean, he was appointed by the Murdochs, or hand-selected, to replace them in their lineage of holding this position. I imagine that he feels beholden to them in many ways. Mm-hmm. Grandpa worked in the office as a consultant. Mm-hmm. Alec worked there as a, a volunteer. Alec was current was, yeah, he was working there at the time. I, um, the, I, on a recent Patreon episode, when someone asked Dear Sinister if they should go to law school, I said that the LSAT was a scam. I do stand behind that. <laughs> but it teaches you a lot of logical thinking. And like you said earlier, if this, then what? And this is, to me, an LSAT problem. So if, when the Mallory Beach wrongful death incident occurred, the BW or the BUI occurred, and uh, Paul Murdoch was immediately a suspect, then Duffy Stone recused himself. Then, when Paul and Maggie were killed, and he doesn't immediately recuse himself, but then later, there's events of today in SLED's investigation, and he has to recuse himself, what does that imply to you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it could imply a couple of things. But what it says to me mostly is, somehow the family was involved the only i believe fitz news tweeted that it was the or posted that it was alec murdoch remains the only person of interest yeah um but that was to, to me if you're just simply simple doing a logic problem where you're like if this then that then this then what yeah then there was something that changed on august 11th when he wrote that letter that said that he should have recused himself to it, be fair 
people were telling, they were hollering at him to recuse himself from day one. Oh, yes, one. yes, yes. So it could have been uh, and he was pressure steadfast. from, it could have been pressure from outsiders as well. To be fair also, it could have been because something was discovered in the Stephen Smith case that implicated Buster and Paul that perhaps he was recusing himself because he knew that that was going to get brought into it and Buster maybe had been was going to be a suspect in something. Uh, yeah, that I have not seen anything indicating that. No, I'm just speculating. Yeah, it would be something it turns out somebody with that same last name that's related. Yes. Possibly. I'm I'm saying to um to just as another alternative for Alec not having been involved because everyone assumes because of this that Alec must be involved. But it could be that he wasn't, and maybe it was someone else in the family. Yeah, or some, yes, anybody else, or like you said, something else that they were previously involved in, and it has ties to mm-hmm. this. But mm-hmm. nevertheless, that was something changed on August eleventh. Yes, according to the Hampton County Guardian, Alec and his remaining son Buster announced a one hundred thousand dollar reward for information leading to the arrest and conviction of the person or persons who brutally murdered Paul and Maggie. The paper quoted Alec as saying, I want to thank everyone for the incredible love and support that we have received over the last few weeks. Now is the time to bring justice for Maggie and Paul. Buster and I, along with Maggie's mother, father, and our entire family, ask that anyone with helpful information immediately call the SLED tip line or Crime Stoppers. To be eligible, the person claiming the reward must submit the tip to SLED or Crime Stoppers on or before September 30th, 2021. So is that typical to give an end date for rewards? I don't recall ever seeing that. And it's, I don't know. The only thing I could think of was they were trying to speed it up and that was more of an incentive for people to come forward quicker. Yeah, maybe so. It's, you know, it's the end of month. So, you know, you're giving a little bit more. Than a month. Uh, of course, internet sleuth speculators online said, is there going to be charges brought that day and they're trying to get somebody else as a suspect before then? I uh. I, I think you're right, though, that it, it does light a little bit of a fire of, you know, there's $100,000 on the table, but only if you call by this date. Mm-hmm. It has been nearly three months since the brutal slayings of Paul and Maggie Murdoch, and still no arrests have been made. While law enforcement continues to assure Colleton County residents that they are not in danger, the lack of released information have left locals concerned and given them reason to speculate. One concerned citizen anonymously started a GoFundMe page with a goal of $650,000, saying the money would be used to hire out-of-state investigators to look into the details of the case. After the Island Packet published an article about the page, it was shut down. A spokesperson for GoFundMe stated that the fundraiser violated the organization's terms of service. That's a bold move to try to get 650,000 Gs. The last, the screenshot I saw before it was shut down, I believe $55 had been raised. Okay, good. I'm glad no one fell for it. So it's a pretty lofty, lofty goal that they, <laughs> they had of 650 grand. This uh, shadows of, Love has won and Mother God's mm. tilt a whirl fund yeah. is swirling through my head. Yeah, that's 
the I think if you're, you know, it's state level law enforcement's already looking into it. You're preying on the fears That's of good. the public and their emotions of because the whole thing was touted as we just want justice for Paul and Maggie, blah blah blah. But like you said, I mean, what are First of all, how do we know where this money is going? I mean, you know, you know. I, which is why it got shut down because GoFundMe's like, nah, we can't buy, we can't like uh, authorize or track any of this. Uh-uh. While Paul and Maggie's murders occurred in a community with a mere 44 residents, the cases made national headlines due to the notoriety of the Murdoch family and the killings possibly being connected to several other crimes. Some believe that the murders were carried out as a sort of backwoods justice for the death of Mallory Beach. There were certainly those who thought, once again, Paul would not be held accountable for his actions. In an interview on Good Morning America, Paul's uncles said that their nephew had received death threats online after being charged in the boating accident. Did a killer, or killers, take justice into their own hands? It's possible. However, just three days before the murders, on June 4th, WJCL reported that a court-ordered mediation in the wrongful death suit filed by Mallory's parents had failed, meaning the case was most likely going to go to trial. If someone was seeking revenge on Mallory's behalf, would they have waited until after the outcome of the trial before making such a brutal decision? And that's a good point because he was, you know, he was going to go to trial for the criminal aspect. The civil suit was proceeding and he wasn't even named in the civil proceeding. That's, you know, Buster and uh, Alec were named in the civil suit. So it would seem a little preemptive. And the Beach family has come out and said, you know, we can't imagine the pain you're going through. We mm-hmm. didn't, you know, this is not what we wanted. So, I mean, I think it's a an easy connection to make, but I think it doesn't make sense because there was the, it was proceeding, you know, yeah, the, both criminally and civilly it was proceeding. I did read that. In this, while Paul had not been initially named in the civil case, the trial, the hearing that was to happen a few days after the death, were was probably going to name him and Maggie both in the case. Would not have, would not be surprised that you would after some of the other uh, plain or the other defendants dro- were dropped out that the plaintiffs would try to add more people, especially. If you think that once all the depositions were available, the the Connor deposition that was released in August of 2021 wasn't that it was taken in August of 2021. It existed before that. So, yeah. you know, you already know you have people willing to testify and say his actions caused her death. Mm-hmm. So easily, I, yeah, they could have yeah. added him. And I believe the the thinking was also that his parents should have known what was going on with their house and, yeah. his, and the boat yes yeah if this wasn't justice for mallory beach could it have been for stephen smith while details have not been released something law enforcement uncovered during the investigation of paul and maggie's murders has prompted them to reopen stephen's case former state trooper todd proctor who was the lead investigator for stephen's case in 2015 has always believed that evidence discovered at the original crime scene pointed to Stephen being murdered, according to Fox 28 Savannah. Other online speculations range from a robbery gone wrong, to Paul being involved in a dangerous drug deal, to Paul and Maggie being informants for the cartel, being taken out as a liability. 
Fitznews reported rumors of a dispute between the Murdochs and the property's former caretaker, inciting speculation that a disgruntled employee with knowledge of the property committed the crimes. And the, you know, whether the threats related to Stephen Smith or, you know, whatever it possibly could have been, the I, everything at this point is starting to grasp at straws. You know, with the, there was some drug arrest in mm-hmm. several counties over and people were like, could this be related? Also, we have to just say the Murdochs were prosecutors. Mm-hmm. Sadly, sometimes people's families are targeted if you put, they put a lot of people behind people bars. Yeah. Behind bars and on death row. Mm-hmm. I mean, and who's to say if it was somebody that was related to that or, you know, a simple robbery and you go, oh, that's a big plot of land. I bet rich people over there, you know. Yeah. So it's more wild theories are the ones that are, they were a part of the cartel ring and it possibly did. But also, Another kind of Occam's razor is they had years of putting people behind bars. So did somebody get out and they're seeking revenge or what? With all that power and being as popular as they were, also comes a lot of enemies and people Mm -hmm. that want to see you hurt. Well, and for everything you fix, you know, for somebody that you're fixing stuff for, there's somebody on the other side that got fixed that's going to be pissed mm-hmm. about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, that's the problem when it comes to wielding power like that is that there is going to be uh, aftershocks. One theory that has gained quite a bit of traction is that Alec Murdoch is involved in the killings. Redditors have posited that perhaps Alec came home to Paul having killed Maggie and shot his son in a fit of rage or in self-defense. Still, others believe Alec may be responsible for both murders. Rumors had been swirling that Maggie was planning on filing for divorce, potentially taking millions of dollars in properties in the process. It was no secret that Paul's reckless behavior had gotten the family into legal trouble on more than one occasion. Is it possible that Alec couldn't bear the thought of a messy divorce and was fed up with Paul's actions damaging the family name? Yeah, people are, it starts to read like a, uh, story or novel, uh, fan fiction. I mean, the the type of putting pieces together where they're, all the evidence we have right now is redacted. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I think it's just assuming based on human, in, like human motivation, right? Why does anybody, you know, why does, what, what was the motivation for these killings? It was either going to be revenge, money, love, you know, uh, Everybody robbery. wants an answer because you don't yeah. want to think that the answer is just, because things like this happen and it could happen to anyone. Mm-hmm. You want it's just random. Yes. You yeah. want it to think, oh well, it's because they did this. I don't do that. So therefore I'm not I'm gonna safe. have this same outcome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If Alec wasn't responsible for the killings, could it have been his father, Randolph Murdoch? Three days after the murders, on June tenth, at the age of eighty one, Alec's dad, the senior Murdoch, died at home. Before his passing, Did he order a hit on Paul, concerned his grandson was too much of a liability? Was Maggie also a target, or just in the wrong place at the wrong time? With an ongoing investigation and tight-lipped law enforcement, all anyone can do right now is speculate. And that's the, you know, part of it that comes with folks feeling really close to it, especially if they're from the area. It's like two sides of a coin. 
people either say he was so powerful and so scary, he would totally do something. And the other side is, oh, my God, he loved his grandson so much he would never, ever do that. That's Mm -hmm. completely out of character. So, again, it's just at this point, people grasping, saying, well, I know or, you know, my cousin's uncle's mom works at the gardener shop with this person and knows this. But I think it will be uh, definitely a case that we're going to follow because there's. Like you said, there's this human interest in it of this is so horrific and tragic. What, you know, this could never be me. Like, here's Mm -hmm. ways I'm going to separate myself from them. Oh, they were really rich or they were powerful or they were bad people. You know, whatever you want to say to yourself to separate yourself and make yourself feel safer at night. But I think none of us will stop thinking about it until there's an answer. Mm -hmm. Anyone with information on the murders of Paul and Maggie Murdoch can call a 24-hour dedicated tip line set up by SLED at 803-896-2605. If you or someone you know has information about the death of Stephen Smith, please contact Crime Stoppers by texting TIPSSC plus your message to CRIMES 274637. You can also call Crime Stoppers at 1-888-CRIME-SC. All tipsters can remain anonymous and can earn up to $1,000 for a successful tip. So what do we think? I just go, I really waver on what happened. Okay, let me hear it. I first blush, one assumes normally that it's the person that found the body. A lot of times when it's a spouse is killed, then immediately the uh, surviving spouse is the suspect. But I, on the flip side, I think if you have made enemies and been as flippant and arrogant and as Paul was, that I think it is feasible. And also, if you're out saying, this is my effing boat, you know, I don't you know who I am, flashy, whatever, that can invite unscrupulous third parties and then your mom is unfortunately present when that happens especially if i think that the motivation wasn't robbery because they said nothing was really missing i don't think it was robbery so if it was a revenge that you did something to hurt somebody whether it was one of the incidents that we've covered here or if there was some other incident that we didn't even know about something he did at college or something he did years prior you know you just don't know and He's being as flippant as he was. I think he was seen drinking when when he was on probation, like just flouting the system that, you know, this seemed targeted, emotional, angry, destructive, like I want to destroy you. So I would assume that that's possibly could come out that it was somebody who had a, an ax to grind. I think that's one option. What was your other thing you're wavering? Well, like I said, the initial inclination is that the person that finds the body and also normally the surviving spouse, that something occurred, whether there was a fight in a car and a phone got thrown out. And then uh, I haven't read what, if any, if there was a blood alcohol level test taken on Paul, if something went down. I haven't read that either. I don't know, him and his mom. You never know. So some sort of family, inner intra-family incident. So we're kind of on the same page. I, I definitely think it could be a 
revenge killing of some sort. And I think that if that is the case, that more than one person was involved because Mm -hmm. of multiple firearms being used. I do think that the target was most likely Paul and Mm -hmm. that Maggie was in the wrong place at the wrong time. Mm-hmm. Her body was found like a couple of yards away from where Paul's was. His mm-hmm. cell phone was found by his body. Hers was found in the street. I think it's possible that Paul heard the dogs barking because they saw people on the property mm-hmm. and that he went down to the kennel to see what was going on. They ambush him either maggie hears shots and then runs out to see what's going on and is also becomes a victim and they take her phone and like you said threw it from an atv or something as they were leaving but there's i'm not i'm not 100 percent confident on any of these theories because i think well why wouldn't they have taken paul's phone Mm-hmm. Why would it have just been hers? There was also no nothing's come out saying there were because it was raining that night and they're outside. There was no like tracks in the mud or anything, but also it could have been redacted from the nine one one call or the documents that have come out. So I think that that is a possibility. The only it it is strange to me. Or I don't know strange, but just. Like we said earlier, shooting someone in the face with a shotgun, that is the most heinous type of way. I mean, that's... that's It's destructive. Like I said, you're yes. trying to destroy yeah, their yeah, face. Yeah. You're destroying their identity, who they are. So it would, I, it would be hard for me to imagine a fellow peer of Paul's doing something, like being able to do something like that. And maybe mm-hmm. that's just me being naive but that sounds more like something a someone that is more experienced with crime and killing would do well i have the opposite feeling because i think if you're like a hit person you're gonna come in and go boop boop and leave and not make a yeah. big mess about I it guess unless, unless somebody told you the to message i say unless they told you do it like make a mess yeah. make it awful or whatever i would say you know when you normally see a contract type of killing situation it's quickest not loud not you know leaving a big mess leaving shell casings all around yeah that's true i mean if if two people showed up each with one with the shotgun one with the assault rifle and you aren't as um skilled in handling that because shooting a shotgun i mean there's a lot of kickback on that so if maybe they didn't even intend to shoot him in the face Mm -hmm. but more in the chest or arm and it just that's what happened i don't know but i think that maggie was just um an unfortunate bystander in this yeah i I, I do especially based on the the weapons i think it's some some third party With a partner, you know, two people. I do have another theory that I will, I'm, and this is very much my own theory and speculation. It's your opinion based on the evidence you've reviewed. Yes. I don't think it's impossible that the family was involved 
and that they orchestrated these killings. And it's a large family, maybe maybe a associate, someone, you know, you don't know who's considered family. They, you know, we have the family we choose and the ones we're related to. So the more people you let into your inner circle. Yeah, I, I, I'm talking about more of a, the inner circle family, but I think that um, one theory I've seen is that the grandfather hired someone or paid paid someone with knowledge of the property to do this. And again, it could have just been Paul was the target and Maggie was there. I think also somebody could have been intending to take all of them out and just, and Paul and Alec weren't at home. Or Buster and Alec. Buster and Alec weren't at home. Yeah. True. On the other hand, it could be someone that knew Alec wasn't going to be home, but was going to be home soon and, and knew their schedules. I think someone said that they had kind of these um, routine family dinners mm-hmm. on on those nights. I also read, and this hasn't come out in official documents, but that there were tons of cameras all over the property, which would make sense because they're rich and powerful people. But none of them were on that night. Interesting. I, I read that people said that the internet access is really spotty out there. Mm. So that could have um, been it, too. So while there are many theories, I think, until we really have solid announcements, which apparently SLED's keeping it pretty close-lipped, it's going to be just, just speculation. Taking the pieces that are available, which we're not, you know, we don't know. We don't even know what the picture on the front of the puzzle box is, much less we ain't playing with all the pieces. Yeah. Yep, or someone coming forward with some kind of information. Um, Based on the tip. Yeah, or, yeah, stuff that they uncover that connects possible older crimes as well. But I don't think that Alec has made, other than the statement that they made about um, thank you to everyone for your well wishes, I don't believe that there, he's made a, a statement since then. No, uh, just the brothers were on, his yes. brothers were on Good Morning America, which we talked about. But, yeah. And that they did mention the online threats against Paul, which I think will be probably key in understanding what all is connected. You know, if the past crimes or, you know, possible suspects for these crimes, because, you know, that's tough when they said, well, he got these threats and we just didn't really make a lot of them. And then if that does turn out to be connected, you know, you would say oh god you know what could we have done yeah and that's what the uncle said in the interview that they didn't think they were really that big of a deal and he said maybe i messed up by not thinking it was a bigger deal and he said if he thought it was you know he would have followed up on it and tried to do something about it so i mean they seemed extremely grief-stricken i mean the whole family regardless of who was involved or what happened you've lost your father slash grandfather Mm-hmm. Uh, mom, uh, spouse or sister-in-law, and you know, a brother and a nephew or son, in the matter yeah. in the span of three days, and it's an extremely tight-knit family as yeah. well. And you know, they all spend a lot of time together and everything. And it it does come through on the interview how upset they oh, are about yes, it for sure. 
I think it's it's easy to again, like we said, you're trying to position yourself of like, well, I'm not like that, so this would never happen to me. Of I've seen a lot of callous responses to, oh, they're all fake crying, you know, I don't believe it. The nine one one call, he wasn't really upset. I'm not a lie detector. I it moved me. I mean, I I, found I, it. I thought it he definitely sounded genuinely upset on the nine one one call, which is why it's hard for me to think that he did that. Yeah. He said, I mean, he sounds terror, like completely personally traumatized. I you, mean, he's, just, he's sounds like he's in shock. I mean, to, yeah. like, you know, I mean, it's, yeah, it's it, it, like you said, it's moving. It's also hard for me to believe that a father would brutally murder their child in that way. It, yeah, I mean, we've seen the human capacity for it, nastiness. It is, is possible, uh, sure. Is it, but the this doesn't seem like it would have required that. Yeah, if it's, that's especially, what he, he wanted to do. And you're, you know, it, that was another theory. Is people are like, well, Paul was ruining the family name or whatever. It's just, I think I'm not a parent, but I think you love your kids even through their extreme, which in his case was extreme, extreme, extreme mm-hmm. fuck ups. Um, and if they didn't give a shit about this kid, they would not have spent thousands and hundreds of thousands, I'm sure, of dollars on defense attorneys, civil defense attorneys. Mm-hmm. You know, they you you just go, well, you're on your own, buddy. Fuck you. Sorry. If you if you cannot afford an attorney, one will be appointed to you. Bye. You know, they clearly cared about this kid. And oh, it, sure. It's their kid, you know. And I think if you say what's important to somebody is, you know, money, power, this, well, they're spending a whole lot of money and a, a lot of favors and power trying to get him out of these jams, which to me doesn't jive with like, well, I'll just, you know, he's not a problem anymore. It's like, no, that's your, that's your kid. You want to clearly you're going above and beyond to do anything to get him out of all these jams. If we're going Occam's razor, which is how I approach most things. I think that he had a lot of enemies Mm -hmm. and um, it could have been, you know, one of, of several, things he'd been involved with that unfortunately ended this way backwards justice as they call it yeah and the online threats kind of point to that as mm-hmm. well and the anger that was directed mm-hmm. towards him with the the way he was taken so i uh, i think it remains to be seen what'll what'll happen almost just a brief aside i've found myself in life using my Christy voice in my head when I was trying to be logical about figuring things out. I remember what we were talking about, something Paris and I were talking about earlier today, and I was like, Occam's Razor, which Christy and I talk about. <laughs> <laughs> so I always have, I feel like I have a little Christy perched on my shoulder. Oh, to, well, um, there's probably one it, on each side, a good and an evil. <laughs> the one on the other side's like, yeah, flames out of the side of my head. <laughs> Um, getting pissed off when I'm on the phone with the insurance company, mm-hmm. but especially when I'm, cause you, you, it can get, it's easy on a case like this where there's no, nothing concrete to go down those rabbit holes. I mean, I literally sent you a Reddit link that someone said I was at this bar and yeah. this person, I overheard this conversation at this bar. And as a person who loves conspiracies, you know, my brain will run amok, but this is a real ongoing investigation mm-hmm. of it's one thing horrific to, incident to believe in. Or to have fun with conspiracies that involve cryptids in the woods. But yeah. when it's like, these are real people. And like the uncles even said on that interview, they're like, when we hear 
you know, the terms like dynasty and legal powerhouse and all that. He's like, we're also people and we're hurting just like anybody else would because we've lost several members of our family in a horrible way, which is absolutely true. Yeah. And that's true, too. And again, like I said, it's I think maybe a coping mechanism for people to be like, oh, I'm sorry, you know, too bad. So sad. But at the end of the day, finding your Uh, wife and kid like that uh, is life wrecking that that that'll that'll end you yeah that i mean your whole trajectory of your life changes at that very moment and i think we always talk about you know two things can be true at the same time i don't think that absolves this horrific thing happening to alec does not absolve his liability for what his kid did to mallory with his car or with his boat on his land you know that's I don't think you say, well, we should all really, you know, we should leave him alone. He's grieving. He's grieving, yeah. But also, you have to be held accountable for what you perpetuated and what you did. And if he knew anything, if 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 they're, they were involved somehow in Stephen Smith's killing, you know. Yes. Or there was something with, the, with Gloria Satterfield. If any of those cases, something was covered up, they still need to be held accountable. Yeah, you got to pay the piper. So I don't think it's like, well, that poor family is so sad. You can say it, the poor family, I do feel for them. Like I said, sure. it's unimaginable finding your family like that and then not having answers. But on the flip side, they need to proceed with the civil trial. Yeah, yeah I the, mean, absolutely. Mallory's I, parents, Mallory's family deserves something as well. A hundred percent they do. And to show, hey, we we don't live in a town where there's two separate justice systems and one you know, because like Stephen Smith's mom said, you know, we don't have a lot of money. Yeah. We don't have a lot of power. No, people forgot about us. The, Literally the because have, they're poor is what she yeah. said. Yeah. And the beaches have all the right in the world to continue their case. And I hope oh, they yeah. do. Um, because that's at this point, because Paul is no is dead, they're not going to see any criminal justice. Mm-hmm. So the civil system is the only place that they can turn to. And I, I do hope they continue to pursue that. I it'll also be interesting to see, as you just mentioned, that there's been like two justice systems in the low country for so long. Is that going to change now? Is kind of like the good old boys club going to stop? And with more and more coming out of just like how entrenched the family was in the legal side of things, you know, and just the conflict of interests, will things change? and Going forward, things will be a little less biased and and more fair. I hope so. Someone uh, there was circulated a document that was referring to one of the prior generation Murdochs who was a solicitor. Of course, it was a hundred years, and got caught up in some type of, I believe it was tax evasion, and was like knew the jury foreman, and the jury foreman didn't say nothing, and he didn't get. And he had the for, elder Murdoch had stepped down from his position as solicitor pending this the results of this trial. Well, then he was un, unopposed on the ballot. Mm-hmm. So he automatically got a seat back. Yeah. So, well, like you said, does this create impetus for change to say we're no longer letting one single family run this, even though this, you know, this new solicitor technically wasn't a Murdoch was entrenched in the family enough that it was grounds for him to recuse himself. So having more people involved in local politics and more people willing to step up and say, I want to serve and also more 
you know, people that say we're not going to let this, you know, a community that says we're not going to let ourselves be, you know, trying to think of the right word, basically like pushed around by yeah, people just because yeah. they have money and, mm-hmm. and say we're going to band together and not let this happen anymore. Mm-hmm. Well, this will definitely be one that we keep our eyes on and do updates. I mean, my Google alerts are all this case now, much like when we covered yeah. Brittany. All I get now are, are updates about this. Mm-hmm. So we will we'll definitely update everyone as things come out. Live shows. We got some live shows. Yeah, we Christy. get to, we get to uh, we used to do live show announcements before the Patreon stuff back when we performed improv a lot. Yes, and Heather. Yes. The last time we performed improv on a stage in front of an audience, I believe was March 13th, 2020. Friday 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 the the 13th. 13th. Well, mark your calendars, guys, because (laughs) September 24th, Heather and I will be in a show together at Dallas Comedy Club. Reunited and it feels so good. Mm-hmm. We will. It's a Friday night show. It is inspired by a monologue, and then it's a rotating cast uh, at the all new Dallas Comedy Club. Mm-hmm. So it is a, a brand new place uh, with a brand new crew, but some familiar faces as well, including uh, yours truly, as well as uh, Christy, who's also in a show. I want to just point out. Friday, uh, September 3rd. So yes. I will be in the audience of the show on <laughs> and Friday, that's, September 3rd. Uh, the grand opening of Dallas Comedy Club. So I get to be in a show then. And that show is free, you guys. I got my, I got my ticket. You still, you still need to go online and reserve your spot. But it is free. So come out and Heather will be there. I'll be there. Tommy yes. will be there. Yep. And um, the drinks will be flowing. There's food. I think there's going to be karaoke. It's gonna be Uh-oh. a lot of lot of stuff going on. Karaoke I was on the patio. Just talking about how I miss doing karaoke. Oh well, so there's your chance. Up. Yeah. So yeah. So that's our live show. In addition, we also have our tour. We're going yes. on tour. We're so uh, so so stoked. So stoked. If you have not already gotten your tickets, you can go to sinisterhood.com slash live shows. We are headed to Tacoma, Portland, Denver, Salt Lake City, which as a recent watcher of all of Real Housewives of Salt Lake City, I'm so excited about. <laughs> San Antonio, Dallas, and Houston. So we're going to end it up on my birthday in Houston. Yes. So you're going to come ha- to a birthday party for me. Also, it'll be a Dallas birthday party and also San Antonio. Honestly, I always have multiple birthday parties. <laughs> yeah. October, I mean, the whole month of October. I'm pretty even sure in starting in Tacoma, Heather's birthday yes. starts and then it ends sometime in January. Her it's her the... birthday lasts longer than my which is in actual January. The Dallas <laughs> show is sold out. But we're looking into maybe doing something about that, maybe adding a second show. We're not entirely sure yet, but if you can't get into the Dallas show, go to the San Antonio or Houston show. Make it a road trip and Heather's uh, birthday is in Houston, so that'll be a super fun show. They're all going to yeah, be super good. fun. The Houston show, because we had to go out to Houston after Dallas, so we can't have a birthday party after the Dallas show, mm-hmm. but happy to have a Houston birthday party. And uh, my friend Ro Ro's in Houston, and she is the party, so she's already said she's coming. So oh, just come to I'm meet excited. her. She's the greatest. Uh, but yeah, we'll see you. Go to sinisterhood.com slash live shows and get all the information, and we'll see you on the road with our masks on and our vaccines. <laughs> and we'll also post information about our improv shows on yes. uh, the same 
same just page. Click, on, click on the same thing on our page and you'll find make it all happen. of that information. Heather's got it under control. <laughs> we love providing Sinister to you at no cost. So if you like what you hear, consider supporting the show by donating to our Patreon. We're a small operation creating the show for you by researching, writing, recording, and producing it ourselves. Any amount is sincerely appreciated and helps offset the cost of making and hosting the show. As a thank you, you'll also get some sweet perks like ad-free episodes, a Sinisterhood sticker, membership to our exclusive Patreon Facebook group for those in the Ruling the Airwaves, and getting into it tier, a special shout-out on the show, a monthly bonus mini-sode, and patron-exclusive video and audio content, including our Am I the Asshole relationship segments, Dear Sinister, Judge Christie, we're about to bring back the mix bags. True Who crime knows? headlines. True crime headlines. We may bring back the wheel. We don't know. It's a it's a free-for-all, but you're always going to get some every week when you are subscribed uh, at the So Sinister tier, and then on up, the Patreon perks just keep coming. We have the new Getting Into It tier, and uh, by the time you hear this we will have already rocked our very first live stream show we're gonna do am i the asshole live that's and what I the have... people voted on i got y'all some juicy ones this juicy so... assholes are coming your juicy way assholes. Yes. so uh head yeah you gotta head over and see all the different perks at all the levels without getting into it tier we're about to bring the party yes and we're also about to post the poll to vote on what topic you guys want us to do for one of our September shows. We will be posting three different options. And if you're in the getting into it tier, you can vote. And whatever gets the most points, the most points, the most votes. Yep. That's three points. A, you know, it's a point system. Whatever gets the most vo- votes, we will cover. So it, no, we're doing it's it. in your it's hands. You. It's in your hands. Yeah. You also now have the fun perk of access to our Discord server, where you can connect with other fans in real time and discuss the latest in true crime, share personal ghost stories, or just post adorable pictures of your pets. We'll also be hopping on occasionally and hosting monthly Q&As with Crowdcast, where you can ask us all your burning questions. And for patrons not in the U.S., you now have the option to pay in pounds or euros, saving you the cost of the conversion fee. Annual memberships for all tiers are also now available. Those that select this option will be rewarded with a free month of membership. For more details on all of this and specific member tiers, visit SinisterHood.com and click Patreon on the top banner. And make sure you stick around after our sign-offs to hear your shout-out. You guys, we've made it. We are BuzzFeed famous. We were listed on not one, but two BuzzFeed listicles. Whoa, two? <laughs> one was 28 dark things you'll want if you never really left your goth phase. And the other is 31 wardrobe must for us grown-up goths. And one of our pieces of merch made it on both listicles. Whoa. It is the Don't Tell Me to Calm Down Racerback tank, which I personally have. I also have the Let's Get Into It tank, which I wore uh, at the airport because, you know what, represent wherever you go <laughs> uh, when I was coming back from uh, Big Sur. So if you want to head to SinisterHood.com and click on Shop in the top banner, you're going to get all kinds of swag from our all brand new store. We have stickers, clothes, tanks, stuff for the kids. We have tote bags. Just go Mugs. get it. It's a mugs oh someone showed a picture of the it's great looking man the new uh mug with the new logo with the pink skull mm-hmm. man it really prints nice on that white mug yeah. so head to sinisterhood.com and click on shop in the top banner and uh you can make it onto a buzzfeed listicle yeah too. the best thing you can do to help us grow is like review and subscribe on apple podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcast and please tell a friend who you think would like us to check us out it means so much to us and really helps podcasts like us get more exposure 
You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Sinisterhood Pod and like us on Facebook at Sinisterhood. Christy, where are you at on the computer? I can be found on Instagram at Christy M. Wallace and on Twitter at Christy or GTFO. Heather? I'm on Twitter at MCK versus the world and on Instagram at Heather versus the world. As always, the devil rules the airwaves. Keep it creepy. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for supporting the show on Patreon. Here are your special Patreon shout-outs. Brooke, support your local public library, Seavers. Aaron Jameson. Claire Elliott. Arian Lebrecht. Kim Dalton. Michelle Martinez. Ashley Eckers. Morgan. Kyra Dye. Nikki Wall. Melissa bodorfer Ray, Justine Darren. Bethany Gravel. Sammy Shea. Cam Alter. Jenna Garofalo, Tiffany Guitard, Nicole Crawford, Megan Crouch, Talia, Kia Thomas, Kelsey Rumpf, Robert Mansfield, Aaron Sweeney, Bethany Hammond, Christina Johnson, Cassie Smith, Dolly, Sarah Kelly, Tyler Scott, Danielle De Palma, Kelly Egan, Stephanie Winkler, Breen Lasite, Charlie Gordon, Maddie, Angelique. Luda Kristen, Amber Kearney, Susan Eno, Jackie Mishna, Jesse Schaff, Ashley Stanton, Laura Schorfheide, Lauren Creech, Elsie Scarrett, Jennifer, Adriana Winger, Ariel Brown, Rucci, Shelby, Christina Moore, Heidi Rotondi, Becky Remington, Lexi Townsend, Charlotte Johnstone, Ashley, Colleen O'Connor, Marie Pierre Delisle, Sylvia L., Ciara Ryan, Alyssa Knapp, Nikki George, Aunt Amina, Emma Wilkinson, Kayla Cook, Christine Cho, Kate Hunker, Megan Duke, Antonio Young, Marissa, Carrie Bacchetti, Annie H., Greta Vance, Michelle Rosenberg, Jamie McClanahan, Holly Barnes, and Alice Downey. Thank you guys so much for supporting the show. We hope we pronounced your names right. We sincerely appreciate all that you do. We couldn't do this without you. Stay safe, stay healthy, and keep it creepy. Mwahaha! <laughs>